0: Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter? And as we do that, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre K through fourth grade, they can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, we are starting a new sermon series today called Summer of Hope. Those of you who are with us during the spring know that we had been working our way through the topic of prayer and talking about some of the great prayers of the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, and as I was praying through that that series, I found myself more and more praying into the hope, uh, praying into the future, praying into the promises of God, And so during this summer series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the great passages in the scripture about hope. The hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in the gospel, the hope that we have for families, the hope we have for finances, the hope that we have for the future. All of these passages really anchor our hopes in the person and work of Jesus Christ and specifically in his holy spirit which takes the holy the the holy truths of scripture and applies them to our hearts. Well, to me there's no better place to start when we're talking about hope than the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to focus this morning on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, but in order to set the stage a little bit, since it's one long, crazy, amazing, unwieldy sentence that starts in verse 3, we're going to start in verse 3, and we'll go all the way to verse 14. Here now, the reading of God's word, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, and we'll read all the way to verse 14. Verse 14. might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord our God, We thank you for the glorious hope that we have in Jesus. We ask that you would speak to us now by the power of your Spirit, for we, your servants, your sons and daughters, adopted into your family of faith, are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1930s, bridge building was a very dangerous occupation. It was said that anytime you were building a bridge, you could expect at least one death for every million dollars spent on the project. You can certainly see why when you look at a picture like this. Does that look like a very safe occupation? It does not look very safe to me. Now, for most bridge builders, those numbers were deemed to be acceptable losses, but not for Joseph Strauss, he was the chief engineer on the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was a, which was a thirty-three million-dollar project, expected to cost thirty-three men their lives. Now in order to make his workers secure, Strauss instituted a number of safety features that were unheard of at the time of the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. For one thing, he required all of his workers to wear hard hats and safety harnesses, and he would fire any man who refused to do so. Amazingly, some did refuse to do so, and he fired them on the spot. Not only that, but he required his men to wear special safety goggles, which would protect them from snow blindness, which could happen when the the sun reflected off the surface of the water, shining into their eyes and blinding them. In 1937, Strauss told the Saturday Evening Post, On the Golden Gate Bridge, we had the idea that we could cheat death. By providing every known safety device for the workers. To the annoyance of the daredevils, who loved to stunt at the end of the cables far out in space, we fired any man that we caught stunting on the job. Now, of all the safety measures that Strauss undertook to protect his workers who were building the Golden Gate Bridge, the crown jewel was a safety net that cost $130,000, the most expensive, elaborate safety device ever conceived for a major construction project. Here's a picture of it. Do you see it? Now, that net was placed under the entire bridge and extended 10 feet on either side of the bridge to protect the workers so that anyone who fell into it would be saved. It worked. Over four years of this construction project, 19 men fell into Strauss's net, and all 19 of them were saved. But not only did the workers survive with the net underneath them, they thrived, knowing that they were safe and secure. They finished the Golden Gate Bridge ahead of schedule and under budget. When is the last time that you have heard of any construction project finishing ahead of schedule and under budget? And yet, it happened because of Joseph Strauss. And the crazy idea that he could put a giant safety net under the Golden Gate Bridge. That's the power of security. If people know that something or someone will be there to catch them when they fall, they'll thrive. Set free from insecurities and doubts and fears, they're able to focus on their mission and accomplish great things. That, in a nutshell, is what our passage is about this morning. God wants his people to grow and thrive. He wants his children to live extraordinary lives of faith and faithfulness. He wants us to focus on his mission so that we can accomplish great things for the glory of God in the kingdom of our God. He wants those of us who hope in Christ to build our lives on Jesus, the rock of our salvation. When everything falls apart, when family and faith and career and society seems to be coming apart at the seams, God wants us to know that we can rest secure in his love. He wants us to know that God is Above us and beneath us and all around us. And our God will catch us when we fall because he loves us. He's our Father. And that's what fathers do. And so at the end of Ephesians chapter 1... At the end of this long and beautiful and glorious sentence of praise that runs from verse 3 all the way to verse 14, a passage that highlights all of the blessings that we have in Christ, Paul says, You are secure. You're secure. You were secure, you are secure, and you will be secure forever and ever. Amen. Nothing that you were, nothing that you are, and nothing that you ever will be will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe that? How do we know that that's true? When we talk about hope, are we saying that we have hope-so-hope, hope against reason, hope against evidence, blind faith that these things are true, or do we have hope that is solid, hope that can never be shaken, hope that's rooted in the person and work of Jesus? If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. I want, I want to conceive of sort of a visual outline this morning. I want you to picture yourself looking at the Golden Gate Bridge. I want you to see on the one side of the bridge a sign that says who I was. On the other side of the bridge, I want you to see a sign that says who I will be. And then underneath the bridge... I want you to see a sign that says, who I am. The net, which goes underneath and on both sides of the bridge, is hope. Gospel hope. Hope that God has a plan and that you're part of the plan because of everything that Jesus has done for you. Gospel hope is certain hope. Gospel hope is reliable hope. It's hope that you are secure in God's love. It's hope that if you fall, and you will, that God will be right there waiting to catch you when you fall, time and time again. So how does that work? How do we know? Let's take a closer look. Our first big idea is that Jesus gives us past tense hope past tense hope as christians our hope is rooted in something that god did for us before we were even born verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will Paul's reminding us, just like he did back up in verses 4 and 5, that God has chosen us and blessed us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Now now just try, if you can, to wrap your mind around what that means. That God has blessed us and loved us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before you were born, before you even existed, before anything on earth existed, God loved you and wrote you into his story. The greatest story ever told, the story of redemption. That means that life in your life has everlasting significance. You were chosen in Christ. You were adopted in in Christ you were redeemed in Christ God lavished his grace upon you in Christ you are forgiven in Christ that's your story and it's always been your story that means you're not alone you're not a nameless faceless cog in a machine you're not someone who is a, a, a battery for the matrix, sort of giving life to this machine that's bigger than you. No, you, you're part of God's forever family, a family that has no beginning, a family that will have no end. The question is, why would God choose us to be part of his family? Is this like the NFL draft where God looks down on the people and picks the person with the most potential for accomplishment in the kingdom of God? The wisest person, the smartest person, the most articulate articulate person. See, ironically, I'm the least articulate person. <laughs> Thus proving the point. Does God say, okay, I need an evangelist on my team I'll take Balser. Balser, you'll be the evangelist. And I need a youth pastor. Sean, I'll take you. You can be a youth pastor on my team. And I need musicians like Kate and Gary and the rest and technicians and elders and deacons. And he fills out his roster with the best and the brightest. Is that the way it works? Is it about our potential for holiness? Is it about our potential for effectiveness in the kingdom of God? Well, listen to how Moses describes this concept to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7. He says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Do you hear what God's saying? In case it wasn't abundantly clear from your own life experience, God did not choose the best and the brightest. God didn't say, I love you because you're so great. He said, I love you because I'm so great. I love the weak people. I love the sinful people. I love the misfits and the outsiders and the addicts and the runaways and the rebels and the rejects. That's my team. And if you want to know why you're on my team, it's because you're a mess. That's the one thing that qualifies us to be part of God's family. Now, here's why this is so important. If God's blessings to you are conditional, if they depend on your character and your performance, how secure are you? How taut is that net? How confident are you that you made the net and it's going to hold your weight? Now, I'm not a net maker. I think if I made the net myself, I would have zero confidence at all. But if our hope is in Christ... If our confidence is on the eternal plans and purposes of God, if God's blessing to us are unconditional, if they depend on his character and his performance, then we are eternally secure because God never fails. God never lets go of his people. He never gives up on his people. God never makes a mistake. Your life is not a mistake. You have eternal value and worth and significance because God has loved you. And he has loved you in spite of you from before the foundation of the world. That's past tense hope. Hope that is rooted in the eternal plans and purposes of God. Second big idea. Not only does Jesus give us past tense hope, he gives us future tense hope. In verse 14, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He's saying that if you believe in Jesus, then you have an inheritance, Now, just think about how different your life would be on a purely secular, naturalistic, uh, materialist perspective if you know that you have an inheritance waiting for you someday. How differently would you live your life if you knew that no matter what I do, no matter what choices I make, no matter whatever successes or failures I have, that in the future, all of my needs will be taken care of. How much differently would you live your life? How much would you worry about the ups and downs of the stock market? How much would you worry about the price of gas? How much would you worry about paying off your student loans? All these things that we worry about would be wiped away if we knew that we have an inheritance. We wouldn't worry at all. That is the power of of hope that's the power of knowing that you have an inheritance knowing that in spite of it all it's going to be okay you can attempt great things and risk great things knowing that even if you fail spectacularly and you may sometimes you're working with a net god will catch you when you fall Now, take the same idea and apply that to the spiritual realm. How would you live your life differently if you knew that you had an inheritance in the kingdom of God? How bold would you be? How courageous would you be? How adventurous would you be? How generous would you be? How kind would you be? How forgiving would you be? How willing would you be to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile? How quickly would you forgive? So, what is the inheritance? And it's tough to describe in a sentence or two, but I think what, this is what Paul had in mind. Our inheritance is the wealth of God given to the people of God. Our inheritance is everything that's glorious. Everything that's weighty. Everything that matters. It's everything that has eternal value. It's everything that has everlasting significance. It's more than money. It's more than health. It's more than success. It's love defeating hate. It's beauty defeating ugliness. It's peace defeating war. It's truth, defeating falsehood. It's courage, defeating cowardice. It's life, defeating death. Our inheritance is a new world, a new creation, when everything that is broken in this world, body and soul and spirit, everything that is broken, will come back together again. And since there's nothing more glorious, there's nothing more significant and weighty, weighty than God himself, our greatest inheritance is God himself. Someday we will see God face to face. Someday we will know him fully and be fully known. Someday we will have an everlasting relationship with him, a relationship that begins the moment that we place our faith in him. The moment we say, Jesus, I am a great sinner, and you are a great Savior. Paul's telling us, that's the finish line. And you'll get there if you're in Christ. That's the hope. In a world where many of us are tempted to believe that life is meaningless, that there is no beginning, that there is no end, that it goes on and on in a cycle forever and ever, Paul's telling us that's not true. He's saying there is a telos. There is a goal. There is a finish line. There is a resolution to the melody. There is a happy ending to the end of the story. Because of Jesus, we are bound for the promised land. Because of Jesus, we have future tense hope. Third big idea, last one. Jesus gives us present tense hope. Verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul's telling us that we have hope Right now, because of Jesus. When we hear the gospel and believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes the gospel and he applies it to our hearts. Now, let's unpack that. It's a lot. According to Paul, present tense hope begins with hearing. The Christian life doesn't begin with doing. The Christian life begins with hearing. The gospel is an announcement of good news. The gospel is the good news that there is a God who created us to glorify and enjoy him. And even though we have sinned against that God, even though we are rebels against the God who created us for his own glory, God doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve death, but God gives us life. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross in our place, And because of that, salvation, everlasting life, is not only possible, it is the possession of all who place their faith and trust in Him. Salvation is not about what we do, it's about what He has done. It's a free gift given to all who trust in Him. Now, have you heard that before? I suspect that most of you have. But if you've never heard it before, congratulations, now you have. So what are you waiting for? What's stopping you from placing your trust in Jesus Christ? What's stopping you from that glorious happy ending that comes for all of the people of God? Because of the Son of God, your sins can be forgiven. You can have a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. I think I'm working on about my 17th chance, maybe more than that. Ask Kate. You could start over. You can be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Amazing. But this is important. It's not enough to just hear that. You have to believe. Paul describes the very first Christians as people who have their hope in Christ. The first who hope in Christ. It's not enough to understand the gospel message intellectually. You have to to receive it by faith. You have to believe. Believing means I'm going to bank my whole life on the fact that Jesus is who he said he is and has done what he has said that he would do. Believing means centering my entire life on the person and work of Jesus. When you believe, his people become your people. His church becomes your church. His mission becomes your mission. His word becomes the anchor of your soul. And his worship becomes the source of your greatest joy. Do you believe like that? Do you trust in Jesus? Now these are important questions, especially if you grew up in the church like I did. I grew up in the church. And if you grew up in the church, it's very easy to sort of ride on the coattails of the people who brought you to the church mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or someone else, or you believe because your youth pastor believes, or you believe because your friends believe. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you believe? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Is the gospel good news for you? Once you do believe it, Paul says that you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Seals are Uh, things that usually indicate ownership or authenticity. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, God implants or imparts or impresses His nature onto your nature so that you begin to look and sound and listen and think more and more like Jesus. I have books in my library, and when I seal them, I place an indelible mark on, on the page. That pa- page is changed forever because of that seal. And so, also, when we are sealed by the Spirit, God marks us and puts His brand on us so that we are changed forever and become more and more like Jesus. We belong to Jesus now, we are no longer slaves to doubt and fear or insecurity, anger, lust, materialism. Yes, we still struggle with those sins. We battle against them, but they no longer control us because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have present tense hope. Now, those men that we talked about at the beginning who built the Golden Gate Bridge were able to work tirelessly and fearlessly because they knew that they were secure. They knew that if they fell, that net would be there to catch them. And again, it did. Nineteen of them fell, and all nineteen were safe. Strauss's net worked 100% of the time. But do you know what my favorite part of the story is? I read about this in a story in notes that eventually, as the men got more and more comfortable working with the net, they had to put up signs telling people not to leap into the net. The people were so secure and so joyful, so confident, that they would leap over the side of the bridge into the net. The thing that scared them the most became the thing that gave them the most joy. The thing that promised death to them became the source of their life. It works the same way with the gospel. If you know that you have an unshakable hope, hope that is rooted in the past actions of God, that you have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world, if you know that you have future hope, that you have an inheritance that is being held for you, that is secure, unfading, uncorruptible, kept in heaven for you, if you know that right now that you have hope for growth and change and compassion and love and joy that will explode from your soul, then you will find that the very thing that scared you the most will be the source of your greatest joy. That's what God has done for us. We can leap into the danger with smiles on our faces because of Jesus. Hope changes everything. Hope has the power to change the world. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for the certain hope that we have in Christ and through Christ. We thank you for the Spirit who testifies to our spirits that we are sons and daughters of the living God, part of the family of faith, by grace, through faith, in your holy Son, Jesus. Oh Lord God, I pray that as we navigate life in a world that is seemingly hopeless, that we would remember that we live here as citizens of there, that we are bound for the promised land, that this world is not our home, but that we have a glorious future in the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, may this summer Impress that reality on our hearts as we learn to live in hope. Hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name.